there. Congratulations. You've done it. You remembered to set your clocks. Or if you're like me, your iPhone or smartphone does it for you. Either way, you made it here today, so you've achieved something already. If you made your bed, you achieved two things. Good morning, church. My name is Samuel Mock, if we've not met before. Uh, it's good to meet you. I'm the director of Next Gen and Streaming Ministries here at College Hill Presbyterian Church. Uh, and we're glad that you've come here today to worship with us. Uh, if you're watching this on rebroadcast, it probably means you didn't set your clock, and therefore uh, you, you're still loved, and we're glad you're here as well. Today, we're going to be talking about life-changing moments. Have you ever had one of those, a, a life-changing moment? I've had a few life-changing moments, but um, one in particular that I want to share with you today, it happened when I was 14 years old. I was dating this girl, and her father didn't like me because of the color of my skin, um, so he chased me down with a gun. It changed my life. It changed the way that I viewed the world and ways my childhood ended on that day. Life-changing moments, for better or for worse, they can stick with us. They can shape the way that we think, the way we communicate with people. They can change everything. I tell you this because today our sermon is about a life-changing moment. Like I said, they can be for better or for worse, but today's sermon is about a life-changing moment that a man has when he encounters Jesus. He has a quick conversation with Jesus that changes his life forever. The title of my sermon is simply, This Changes Everything. And we're in a series on the words of Jesus, but we say they're more than words because if we believe he is who he says he is, then they truly do change everything. Allow me to pray for us, and then we will jump into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, for this worship, Lord, and, and for an opportunity to hear from you. God, remove any distractions, strip away anything that came before or anything we may be looking forward to after this so that we can be here present with you to sit at your feet, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your gospel. And in this season, Lord, as we remember the sacrifice you made for us, God, help us to reflect you to the world. It's in your Holy Son, Christ Jesus' name, that I pray. Amen. So I told you we're going to be looking at a life-changing moment for a man today. That man's name is Nicodemus. We're going to be in three different parts of the book of John. Um, you can try to keep up and flipping with me if you'd like to, but... They'll also be on the screen. Our first passage will be John 3, 1 through 15. And uh, I'm reading specifically from the NIV, so the screen may be more beneficial for you. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God 
unless they are born again. How can this be? How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, and said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. So in this encounter, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, a religious uh, teacher of that day, and not just any religious teacher, Nicodemus was one of the top of the top. He was part of a ruling council. And he encounters Jesus and he starts off saying, Rabbi, this is a term of respect from a man with such a high pedigree. Rabbi means teacher. Jesus responds to Nicodemus. He doesn't even address that Nicodemus has just said, we know you're from God or that You've been doing these miracles, and he, he passes by anything Nicodemus says. And he says, you need to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? What do you mean be born again? I'm not, how can an old man be born again? Should I crawl into my mother's womb? A creepy word picture. <laughs> Nicodemus is more than perplexed. He's dumbfounded by these words. Born again. Jesus explains his statement. He says you need to be born again of spirit and water. I'm going to explain what this means. Um, if, if you don't know this, then I'll help make it a little more clear. So being born again of water is simply the act of baptism. It's where we outwardly express our faith through an inward, uh, it's our, it's our inward faith being expressed outwardly. It's where we die to self and are raised again in Jesus Christ. And the being born of spirit is simply where God gives us graciously his Holy Spirit so that we can say Jesus is Lord. So this is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's, he says it's not enough to be a good teacher. It's not enough to follow the rules. You have to be born again. But Jesus doesn't deny being a teacher. No, he just claims to be more than that. He tells him that he can save him. 
Let me explain what Jesus means when he says, just like the serpent Moses held up, the Son of Man must also be held up. The Israelites uh, are sinning. Moses is leading the Israelites out of slavery. They're in the desert um, fleeing from Egypt, and the Israelites start to complain. They're like, man, we're tired of this food. We're tired of following Moses. We just want to go back to slavery. At least that's consistent. We knew we was going to get three hots in a cot. And God finally has it with me. He's like, you know what? Judgment has come on my people. He sends judgment by way of venomous snakes. And so they begin to get bit. They, they start dying. And then just like we always do, God's people, we like, God, we was wrong. I'm so sorry. Forgive us. They become repentant. And then God tells Moses, fashion a bronze snake to a rod. Hold it in the air. And anyone who looks at the snake and believes it is an instrument of my grace will be saved from my judgment. Those who looked upon the snake and believed were saved. So what Jesus is saying is that when he is lifted into the air, anyone that looks upon him and believes he is an instrument of God's judgment, or of God's grace, an instrument of God's grace, in fact, the embodiment of God's grace, they too will be saved. But in this moment, Nicodemus is confused. He leaves the conversation. And I could just imagine being Nicodemus. I have the benefit of reading the entire Bible while Nicodemus is walking away from this quick conversation. I'm sure he was walking home like, who is this Jesus? Yeah, like he, he, he performs miracles and he must be of God to perform these things. Yet he's saying he can save people. Is this dude a heretic? But then like, He's got to be righteous to have these kind of powers from God. And so he can't be a liar. Maybe maybe he's just a little crazy. Like maybe he's a lunatic. But then he speaks like one with authority. So he, he, he can't be a lunatic. Is it true he could be the Savior? Could he really be Lord If it is, this changes everything. Maybe you came here today wondering the same thing. Who is this Jesus? Maybe you thought he's a good teacher. But Jesus doesn't really give us that option. He claims to be more, which puts him in a sticky situation. He claims to be the Savior, so if he's not, he's a liar. He's not a good teacher. He claims to be the Savior, so if he's not a liar, he could be crazy. Might just be a lunatic. Or he truly could be the Savior, and he would be our Lord. We don't hear from Nicodemus again until John seven forty-five to 52. Who knows what happened in that time, that time that's passed, but in this moment... The Pharisees have gathered around. They're tired of Jesus. Jesus, his ministry has gone too big. 
And he's taking their power. He's ignoring the rules that they've created. And they're like, you know what? Just arrest this dude. We're tired of him. And this is where the passage picks up. They send guards to go get Jesus. And they come back empty-handed. Because they too were dumbfounded by Jesus' teachings. The word says, Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one has ever spoken like this man does. The guards replied, You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But the mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out. Of Galilee. So Nicodemus, he leaves his first conversation with Jesus and he's confused. But now we see Nicodemus sometime later and he's convicted. The word convicted simply means to have a strong belief that we respond to. He's convicted in such a manner that he defends Jesus. And this may seem like just a few words, but he's risking everything in this moment. See, Nicodemus is risking his status, his power, his very way of life. He's challenging the other Pharisees and rulers when they really want to arrest Jesus. They don't have any charges, but they're like, this guy's got to go. And Nicodemus is the one in the room who says, I think we should hear him out. Can I tell you, following Jesus is risky business. Jesus is a savior, but it don't mean we get to play it safe. Nicodemus takes a risk, and so I must ask you, are you ready to take a risk as well? Maybe you have before, and now God's asking you to take a new risk. Maybe you've never taken a risk, and God is asking you, this week to start. Maybe he's asking you to consider a new profession. Maybe he's asking you to give more than you budgeted because that would take a little faith. Maybe Jesus is asking you to prioritize your relationship with him above every other relationship, which would mean talking to your friend, your neighbor, your coworker about who he truly is. Jesus doesn't call us to play it safe. And Nicodemus in this passage is telling us that he's worth the risk. Even with Nicodemus' goodwill and his pushing back against the Pharisees, they eventually get what they want. They do arrest Jesus, and in fact, they kill him. He's crucified. That's where we meet Nicodemus again is after Jesus' crucifixion. In John 19, 38 to 42, it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, 
but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, and it was about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So they say that this is Jewish custom, and it, the act that they're performing is Jewish custom. However, the way that they're performing it is not. Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spices. Now, to us, that sounds like a lot. You'd have to have at least two people to carry it. But what you need to understand is these spices in today's economy would be about 150000 to $200,000. This wasn't simply a burial. This was worshiping a king. An understanding of who Jesus is leads to a life of worship and to sacrifice. After Nicodemus saw Jesus on the cross that day, I imagine he heard the words of his first encounter with Jesus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Nicodemus had moved from his first conversation where he was confused, his second conversation to being convicted, or his second interaction with Jesus being convicted, and finally, at Jesus' burial, he has confirmation. He now understands what Jesus was saying the entire time, that he is Lord. And I, I wonder if Nicodemus, if he gave Joseph of Arimathea the courage to ask for the body of Jesus. In the very first conversation that he has with Jesus, he says, we know. But Nicodemus is the only one standing there talking to Jesus in that moment. The we very well possibly have been Joseph of Arimathea. Maybe he was too scared then, and possibly Nicodemus' faith and courage helped him to also worship Jesus. Nicodemus' worship, it impacted others. From the way that he defended Jesus to the way that he worshipped him at the tomb. His faith encouraged others to wrestle with the question, who is this Jesus? So then I, I ask you today, who are you inviting to worship Jesus? Who are you sharing God's good news with? Does your life cause others to wrestle with the question, who is this Jesus when you're at work, school, with your family, in your neighborhoods, does your life 
make people wrestle with this question. Who is this Jesus? Nicodemus worshipped at the burial site with expensive spices. Those spices, they would only be needed for three days. On the third day, Jesus would rise from the grave after taking the judgment that we deserved for our sin he would raise from the grave, he would rise from the grave, defeat sin and death on our behalf so that we could be right with God, so that we could have a relationship with our Lord. Nicodemus had a life-changing moment. And life-changing moments can happen to us at any time. Some for better, some for worse. The day that man pulled a gun on me was one of the worst days of my life. And it did. It changed a lot of things for me. It changed me. It shaped who I was. But I can tell you today that meeting Jesus, encountering him, it changed my entire life. It is what has completely shaped me. It has remade me. Today, if you came in here like Nicodemus, curious or confused about who Jesus is, and you're ready to name him as your Lord and Savior, we would love to be in contact with you. You could even write it down on your connection card. We want to walk with this. We want to walk you through this journey and give you the support you need, answer any questions that you have. Or maybe you're just wanting to connect with people in the church. Would you write on your connection card growth group? Our growth groups are an amazing opportunity for us to get together with other people. And one, it's a great place to make friends. But two, it's a great way to grow in understanding who Jesus is. If Jesus is who he says he is, It really does change everything from the way that we work to how we talk to our friends, how we talk to our co-workers and even our family members. If he is Lord and Savior, this is the greatest news that we can share with anybody. And we should tell everybody and be willing to sacrifice anything to spread his good news. I believe that he is. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for an opportunity to hear your word. Father, I lift up everyone under the sound of my voice, whether it's here in this moment or years later, on rebroadcast for anyone watching online, now or later. God, I ask that you would give them your peace. Help them to feel your love that is always present, Father. Lord, I pray for those who have lost family members. So we have three funerals coming up. God, death was never a part of your design. And so we ask for a special peace for those who are wrestling and struggling through that. Father, I pray for anyone who's sick. Anyone whose body is 
injured Lord. You are a healer, and so we ask that you would do what only you can do. Father, but more than that, we just thank you. We thank you for who you are, for sending your son Jesus Christ for us. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen.